chapter number 2, Ephesians 2. This evening we're going to look at some verses that talk about salvation by grace. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained before that we should walk in them. Saved by grace. You know, it's hard for most people to believe that before they became Christian, that they were sinners. In fact, the word, is a, the word sinner is somewhat obnoxious to some people. It's a, it's a word that does not bring about a lot of smiles and happiness. But in accordance with the scripture, sin is what creates the very conditions that lead to sinfulness. And the Bible says at some point we were dead in trespasses and sins. Adam and Eve made one error in the garden and because of that death has passed upon every person that's born into this world. The scripture says we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. To the degree that we are in sin, we are dead. What that means is if you were to go to a grave site and you would go and stand over a headstone and begin to speak to the deceased party, you would quickly realize that they're not responding at all to anything that you're saying. Headstone's not moving, the ground isn't shaking, the decedent is gone, and death has come. When you consider a conversation with someone who's in sin, sometimes they'll say things like, well, I don't see it that way. I don't hear it or understand it that way. You witness to them and you talk to them about God, but sometimes they're, we'll say, unresponsive. And the reason for that is because they don't have spiritual ears to hear what it is that God is saying, and so being dead in their trespasses and in their sins, it takes God to bring conviction to the heart so that a person can pay attention to what God is saying. And if God doesn't give them the ability to incline their ear unto the word of God, it's impossible. The scripture says faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by the word of God. If we take the time to minister the word of God to those that are in sin, then the word of God supernaturally provides that window where a person can see through and then perceive that they themselves are sinners. You may not have ever thought of yourself as a sinner before you became a Christian. I know I did not, but I did after I heard the gospel preached. And I realized I was separated from God by sin. Verse 2 says that we lived in our past life according to the course of this world. I'm not going to ask you what your past life was like. I'm going to just take for granted 
that there's enough stuff under the blood that we all don't need to know about it. Scripture says we lived under the power of the adversary. We were a child of disobedience. People don't use language like that today, but disobedient children because there was a power that was working inside of us to rebel. We didn't want to hear what was right. We only wanted to hear what was wrong. We were opposed to any kind of rules that tried to regulate our behavior. And then verse 3 tells us our conversation in the past was according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of our mind. By nature, you could have been a very angry person. Certainly by nature, you lived your life in fulfillment of the appetites of the flesh. All of us had different appetites. You may have had things you liked more than others. You put three people in the line and asked them about some of their cravings, some of their past addictions. You'd be surprised what people battled with before they became Christians. It could have been alcohol. It could have been fornication. It could have been drugs. A person can have cravings for too much food. A person can have an, an over-excess of anger that's inside of them. Some people are lazy and indulge themselves in an overabundance of that. But the scripture says, despite all of that activity and despite all of that sin, verse 4 tells us God is rich in mercy. He cares so much for you. His loving kindness was so great. His understanding of your condition was, was so expansive that the Lord went out of his way to provide a way for you to come out of sin so that you could have a relationship with him. And that's why the scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came into this world to deal with your individual sin problem and mine. Now think about that. Guilt, condemnation, and shame. It's hard to live every day when you're burdened by that. Because that kind of a burden weighing on your shoulder or weighing inside of your heart, that makes you not want to look people in the face. You look at the ground, you look at the wall. That causes you to not to want to spend time around people that you think are righteous or holier than you. So you'd rather be anywhere else. You'd rather not hear gospel music. You'd rather not see any scriptures or read the Bible. But yet when you consider God's love for you, the Bible tells us plainly that he loved us before we ever loved him. Do you realize that when you were in your mother's womb, your mom loved you before you were even born? Your mom probably sang to you while you were in the womb. And it was a joy for mom to carry you in her bosom. Before the baby ever saw mama's face or was ever rocked to sleep in daddy's arm, that child was loved so that when the child was born, it was born into an atmosphere of love. That's what happens to us when we leave sin. You come out of sin and then you find yourself having repented of sin, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you enter into a kingdom and you are suddenly lavished with love. Now, I will be honest, there are children who are born into this world that do not come into a loving environment. There's some moms and dads don't want their babies. And there are some children born into families where 
Despite the fact the mom didn't want the baby, every time the mom sees the child, the mom sees the man that she once loved but now hates, and she sees him in her every time she sees the baby. So that kind of hostility is not good. But the scripture says when your mother and father turn their back on you, then God takes you up and loves you. There's always somebody that will care for you when other people have turned their backs on you. I'm trying to remember the singer who was born and she was a product of rape. She's a very popular African-American singer, but I can't remember her name, and it will probably come to me later. But this woman, one time, I think she wrote a book and told the story about how her mother had been assaulted by a multitude of men. I won't even give the number. And then the woman ended up pregnant. And she was just distraught over this idea of having this child. And it was her thought to abort the baby, to get rid of this kid. Somebody kind of spoke some words of wisdom into her ears. And that beautiful little baby grew up and became a wonderful singer. He had been raised in church, surrounded by people in the church that loved her. Isn't it nice that God is rich in mercy when other people have no mercy? We live in a world where there are some lives that are destitute of loving kindness. The Bible says God is rich in mercy. God has a lot of things. But I can assure you the one thing God does have is a wealth of mercy for you. And even when you have failed God and I have failed God, which happens every single day it seems like with me I can always go back to God and find that his mercies are new every morning every single day to know that would put a smile on your face so verse 5 makes it very plain at the point that we were dead in sins the Lord brought us to life to life how did he do that You read the Bible one day, or someone witnessed to you about your soul, about your sin, about your need for salvation. You heard on the radio or in the television that you needed to repent of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your life and make a personal commitment to him and then start anew. When you did that, and you were honest and you meant it, God reached down into your heart, gave you a new heart, and you became a new person. God put a new principle of desire inside your heart. So your cravings changed. That's not to say that because you're a Christian now, you don't have longings that you had before you became a Christian. I loved barbecue before I was saved. You better believe I love it today. Yes. I loved pound cake before I became a Christian. I loved collard greens, cornbread. Before I became a Christian, and I still love it now, but before I became a Christian, I used to love a lot of secular stuff that my mom and dad played around the house, Al Green, Marvin Gaye, and all of that. If they burned every album they ever made, it wouldn't bother me today. Don't hear it at all. Before I became a Christian, 
I wanted to be like my brothers so bad. If they were taking a drink, you better believe I wanted to be right there sipping on whatever they had. If they were messing around with marijuana, you, wanted, you better believe I wanted to be right there in the room where they were at because I wanted to be like my big brother. But when I became a Christian, God flipped a switch. A light was turned on inside, and then I suddenly could realize some things are right, some things are wrong. And if you're going to walk with God, you've got to change what you're doing. The scripture says, I was dead in sin, but the Lord brought me to life. You know, that's revival. He, he, he institutes something in us that gives us the ability to recognize right from wrong. What differences can you see in your life from before you became a Christian, from before you became serious about Christianity? If you talk to the average person out here in the heartland and you say, are you a Christian? They'll look at you and say, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. I've been going to church ever since I was an infant. I was baptized as a child. Of course I'm a Christian. And then you press it a little further. Tell me about the day you were born again. Born what? Born again. Tell me about the day that you started life over. You were born the first time into this world. Tell me about the day you were born again into the kingdom of God and you really started serving God. And you realize sometimes you're looking at people who stare back at you like a calf looking at a new gate. They have no idea on this earth what you're talking about. When God gives new life, he gives a new heart. In that new heart, he places a new disposition. In that new disposition, he gives you the ability to walk according to new habits and customs. There is a reason that Christians don't curse people out. There's a reason we don't take the name of the Lord in vain. There's a reason even when we're upset, we do our best to avoid the kind of language that's vulgar. You hear people sometimes, oh, I'd, I'd like to tell you this joke, but I don't think the reverend would appreciate it. If you don't think the reverend would appreciate it, you ought not tell the joke at all. Or you hear people say, oh, after they've just cussed, oh, excuse my French. Well, I know it wasn't French because I understood what you said. Bible says in verse number six that he's raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is where transformation occurs. God starts working on your mind. And by the renewing of your mind, he starts changing your life. Imagine what would happen in this nation if more and more people would learn what the scriptures say. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. The man that doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. Imagine how different it would be for someone sitting and listening to the word of God taught, and then they realize, I can rise up from government assistance and do something a little better for myself. Imagine if a poor person got hold to the gospel and realized Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. What's the good news for poor people? You don't have to be poor for the rest of your life. What's the good news for 
the sick people. You don't have to be ill for the rest of your life. What's the good news for the blind people? You don't have to be without sight for the rest of your life. Jesus comes to transform a person. And it's in Christ that the Lord gives us wisdom. And that wisdom is what gives us the ability to rightly apply knowledge. That's why we're raised up to sit together as kings. Enthroned. Kings can't reign if they don't have good advisors around them to help them keep their power. And if you're going to be a king, you need wisdom. You need wisdom to govern your family. You need wisdom to govern your individual life. You need wisdom to handle yourself on a job. You need the wisdom of God to help you control your passions and your emotions. If someone walked up to you on a street corner and just started screaming and yelling at you and calling you every possible name that they could think of, do you realize that there's not one thing that they are saying or doing that can change who you are? They could call you whatever they want to call you. But there's not a word that they're speaking that could transform you into what they're saying. The only thing they can do is try to provoke a certain reaction out of you. But if God has given you the grace to resist that, you can look them right in the face. And just like the little kids used to be taught to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, there are a lot of people who have been hurt by words. There's no doubt about that. A lot of unkind things have been spoken to people, but I'm telling you, when you renew your mind with the word of God and you have some insight as to what God has said about you, when you learn that the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, it doesn't matter what anybody else calls you. Yeah. I had a neighbor in Cleveland, Ohio one time. This guy... He didn't like me. He didn't like my older brothers. And I'm not going to lie. I can't blame him. We were always in trouble. I mean, just, I mean, we, we knew how to find trouble. Trouble knew how to find us. We knew how to walk in hand, hand in hand with trouble. We just seemed to get along fairly well with trouble. And he did not like to see his boy, who was three or four years younger than me, hanging out with me because his boy wanted to be wherever I was on the streets. We're out playing kickball in the street. His son wanted to be out there with us. If we were at the power plant playing tackle football against the other kids from the other neighborhoods, that little boy wanted to be right there in the middle of it. If we went down to the neighborhood basketball courts, we have eight, nine, ten different courts. His son wanted to be right there wherever I was. Well, as I said, I was always in trouble. Well, I'll never forget when I got older, that man, he essentially cursed me one day, not with bad language, but here's what he said to me. He got upset with me about something. He said, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. That's what he said. I didn't cry. I just looked at him and just walked away. Well, I wasn't even a Christian then, and I had common sense to know that just because somebody says something to you, that doesn't make it so. Yeah. But when I became a Christian, then I realized that the life that I live now is not determined by what someone else says about me. It has everything to do with what I think about myself. And the scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think you're a failure, you're going to become a failure. If you think you're worthless, you're going to act like you're worthless. But if you think you're an overcomer, you're going to act like an overcomer. If you think you're a champion and you're not going to be intimidated by people that are around you that have gifts and talents that may excel your own abilities, I can promise you you're going to be a victorious overcomer. You only learn this when you're in Christ, though. 
point of it all in verse 7 is to prove and to demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace. God has been gracious to you. He's been gracious to me. Pastor, what's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Something you didn't deserve, something you don't deserve. Nevertheless, God gifts you, blesses you, endows you with talents and abilities that are not given to you because you're worthy of it, but simply because God loves you. Have you ever given somebody something not because they did anything to earn it, but just because you wanted to be nice? Yeah, that's grace. If, if I were to come to church one Sunday night and then Steve were to say to me, you know, you know, Pastor, just because I love you, I just, I just want to give you the keys to my Jeep Cherokee. Then we'll just receive the gift from the Lord and drive around town and just smile and enjoy the grace of God. It's like if someone says they want to take you out to eat or take you to a store, and then you walk in and you're looking at dresses or you're looking at pants, and then suddenly they say, I, I just want to buy this dress for you. I think it'll look nice for you. And then they say, well, I, well why do you want to, I haven't done anything. Why do you want to buy a dress for me? It's not because you've done anything. I just want to do something nice for you. That's grace. And the scripture says, since the Lord has been gracious to us, we also should be able to show grace or compassion to other people. Because it's by grace you've been saved. I don't know why God made sure that the gospel came to you. I have no idea on this earth why some of you were born in Christian families. I don't know why God went out of his way to make sure some preacher or some Christian would come into your life to witness to you about salvation in your soul when all around this world there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus one time. But I can tell you this. Since you have heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he came to die on the cross for your sins and to die in your place to receive the penalty of judgment that should have come to you, since you've received that, you would think if that grace is available, you would simply put your trust in him. For by grace are you saved through faith. How long does it take to become a Christian? Less time than it takes for you to blink. But simply recognize that without God, without Christ, you're separated from him. But then by placing trust in him, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then was raised from the dead, the scripture makes it very plain. This grace has brought salvation to you by faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. God gave this to you hand-wrapped in a beautiful package. Oh, my. Now, I do like gifts. Since we're talking about automobiles, we'll just stay on that. I do like gifts. Imagine if, imagine if you walked out of your home one day and you saw a beautiful truck with a bow on top of it. And then there was a little card in that bow that said, this is a gift for you. You haven't done anything to deserve it, haven't done anything to earn it. It's not that you trimmed anybody's hedges or cut anybody's grass or tutored anybody. Somebody just wanted to love you. Wouldn't you receive it as a gift? Better believe it. See? Now, if God puts in front of you something like salvation, 
And he says, this is able to transform your life. This is able to take you from the gutter straight on up to a place of exaltation. He can take you from a place where you're ignorant and in the darkness and give you wisdom and put you in the light. And this thing will change your life and radically orient your steps in a way that will bring blessing and prosperity and humility. And he's got it all tied up. You would think that somebody would want that. King says, you've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Nobody's ever done enough to earn salvation, and you could never do enough good deeds to work your way into heaven. That is the deception of the Roman church. That if somebody does enough good things, just they struggle and strive hard enough, just maybe, won't have to go to purgatory. They can make it to heaven. No, that's, that's not the plan. If you're a Christian and you love God, the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all sin. The only thing you're obligated to do is to believe. And God doesn't even call that a work. That's just something you do in your heart. It does say in verse 10, though, that we are his workmanship. What is workmanship? That's the thing that's being fashioned. When a man works on pottery on his wheel, the pottery is the workmanship. It says you've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So I said that good works won't get you into heaven, but you do need to know once you become a Christian, you will do good works. If you really love God, you'll be interested in feeding the poor, clothing the naked, not because you're trying to get to heaven, but because heaven's inside of you. See? You've been created to do good things for people. And the scripture says God hath ordained that we should walk in them. After I became a Christian, in that period in junior high school, I was 13 years of age, 12 and 13, Eighth grade, chasing after that lovely girl in seventh grade, wanting to become her boyfriend, and she invited me to church, and because of that trip to church, I ended up becoming a Christian. I then needed a place to go to church, I then needed a pastor. Now, she would have gladly taken me to her church, but I had another friend in school with me who had been raised in church all of his life and I can't say he was the best example of a Christian but I'd say he he was a he was a good guy he 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 certainly wasn't one of the ones getting in trouble like some of us other young people had but he had an auntie who probably was in her 40s then who lived on the top floor in their home now, I was too young to even ask, why in the world are you in your 40s living in your sister's house? So it never crossed my mind to ask, but her name was Daisy, and since she was his auntie, I was quite happy that she volunteered to come by and pick me up for church on Sunday morning because my mother and father had no interest in getting up early in the morning and going to church. Sunday was the day you cut the grass, you did the yard work, you trimmed the bushes. Sunday was football day. Who in the world wants to walk away from football to go to church? And when I started mentioning about going to church, they said, well, tell me a little bit about this service. Well, how, how do they do services down there? I said, well, 
I think uh, Sunday school starts early in the morning, and then they have 11 o'clock service. Because I said between the, the Sunday school and the morning service, they sell chicken. So I said, for 35 cents, I can go down there and get a couple of chicken wings and I can eat. And, and I said, Mom, so I'll need some money. And then I said, service starts at 11, and they usually finish up about 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Now, my mom's asking, what kind of a church holds service for four hours? Once we got out of service, then we would go down the street to Burger King or McDonald's, down on 68th and Woodland, grab us something to eat, come back, because at 4.30 we had a young people's meeting called uh, YPWW. And then after that finished at about... 5.45, we had 15 minutes off to get ready for the 6 p.m. Sunday service. Folks, I'm telling you, we were in church all day long. So I would get home at about maybe 9.45 on a Sunday night, somewhere along in there, and my mom is thinking, you mean to tell me I cannot get out of my clothes until nearly 10 o'clock at night because I've got to come pick you up from church? She said, you're going to have to find you another way. So Miss Daisy said she would come and pick us up. I don't know that my mom ever gave her any gas money. I know I never gave her any money. But she drove over there and she picked me up in that little Pinto. And, of course, because of where I lived, I was the last one to be picked up. So the Pinto could only hold probably about five or six people comfortably. But she had about 15 people in there. And I can't remember a time where I got in that back seat and I wasn't sitting on somebody's lap. And then we'd ride 25 minutes to get to where the church was at. I mean, by the time the doors opened, people just falling out of the car. But I'm telling you one thing, that pastor was happy about Daisy. Because Daisy was bringing people to church. That woman did a wonderful thing. And I'm sure when she gets to heaven, she's going to hear some thank yous from the Lord because she never looked for any pats on the back while she was here. She did good deeds for kids because she was a Christian woman. Well, this is how we ought to live our lives as believers. Be a blessing to people because it's the right thing to do. Not because you're looking for something in return. The Bible says if you bless those who are unable to bless you in return, you receive a reward from God. But if you bless those who are able to bless you back, there's your reward. So look for people who are unable to help you with some of the things that you might need help with. Watch how the favor of God crowds into your life. Watch how the blessings of God begin to come simply because of faith in Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. I hope and pray this week is a good week for everybody. And I pray God gives you people this week that you can bless wonderfully. You know, some people just need a hug, especially when they come from places where they don't get a lot of hugs. Sometimes people need a smile when they come from places where there's not a lot of smiling that's going on. Sometimes people just need somebody to show them a little bit of love. Reminds me of the story of Mephibosheth. Crippled in his feet. Badly treated. But David said, I'm looking for somebody that's related to Saul. 
David didn't know Mephibosheth, but just because of his bloodline, he blessed him in a wonderful way. Scripture says, do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. There are some people in this world that will do good things for you just because of your name. Just because of who you're connected with. Don't be afraid of blessing. Receive it wholeheartedly. And say, Father, I'm glad that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the scripture. We're grateful, Lord, that you have spoken so clearly to our heart. We're saved by grace, and we know we haven't done anything to deserve it or to earn it, but yet you brought it into our homes. God, we're so happy. We can punctuate our Sunday evening with the memory of how wonderful this salvation truly is. We honor you, O oh God, and we love you. As we depart from this place, but never from your presence, be with each one of us until we gather here to meet again. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Tuesday night.